0: This is one of those podcast episodes where the audio isn't quite as good as it usually is, but it is well worth listening to because I'm talking with Neil Metarata who recently had a big win in men's doubles against two of the top players in the world. We also take a really deep dive into how to evaluate your opponent's weaknesses. So let's get to the intro to hear from Neil. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, Neil metarata How are you doing today, Neil? I'm doing all right, Lynn. How about yourself? I'm doing great. It is I am so glad to have you on the show today. And normally when I start a podcast, I do like to get a little bit of background and kind of understand. Something about your pickleball journey, how you first heard about the game and when you got started.
1: Yeah. So I started when I was a college student at Northern Illinois University. I wasn't quite good enough to play on the tennis team there. I had played tennis before, but I did hit with some of the tennis players on the NIU team. So I was just working out in the gym and I saw some people playing this weird sport with a wiffle ball and some paddles on the gym floor. I kind of watched them for a minute. And as a classic pickleball story goes, a bunch of old people invited me, they kicked my butt, and then I that made me hungry for a lot more.
0: Wow. And from doing a little bit of research on your background, you have really accomplished that a little bit more. But how many years ago was it that you actually started playing? So I
1: started at the very end of, it's probably around December of 2018, started tournaments beginning of 2019. My first tournament was 4-5 plus. I kind of figured just go for it. I played one more tournament 4-5 medal than that before making the jump to
0: 5-0. is actually a great accomplishment. I mean, I know you are have that tennis background, but perhaps not quite as high of a tennis background as some other players. So just curious how you progress so fast.
1: Well, a lot of the aspects that make someone relatively good in pickleball were some of my specialties in tennis. I could have played like lower end D3 tennis if I had wanted to coming out of high school. I was burnt out at the time, so chose not to do that. So from that point I'm very analytical in my game. I really try to I when I do something, I don't just go in halfway. I jump all all the way in. At one point I was skipping class, just go play pickleball and try to learn about these things. I was it was really helpful. Right after my first tournament, a really good group of local players, like local 5 took me in under their wing and really had me progress and meet. And through them, I was able to meet and play with some of the uh, bigger names in the sport. For example, after I'd been playing for about a month or two, these local guys invite this random kid from University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, and it happened to be Zane Navratil. So playing with players like him really helped me get better and learn what it took to really be at that top level.
0: Okay. Early on in the podcast, in terms of my episodes, I interviewed Zane really early on and you talk about somebody who is analytical. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So it it sounds like you kind of have the same nature. So explain what it means to be analytical and how that helps your pickleball game.
1: Yeah. So it, it, it first takes a lot of reflection. So after, sometimes I would record myself play and then watch afterwards see where the mistakes were and then I watched a lot of video of pro pickleball and just tried to watch one little thing one of the players and see what they did that made them good and then try to emulate that the next time I drill or practice and when it comes to tournaments I, I like to watch video of who I play before I play them um and just look for small little weaknesses that I can exploit and then I try to bring that onto the court so yeah
0: all right so say You've played in a tournament recently, you know, whichever one it was. Give an example of one of the little weaknesses that you saw in somebody, because I think most amateurs, recreational players, they look at the pros and they're like, they're so good. They make so few mistakes. So what is it that you see?
1: Yeah. So for example, last weekend, me and my partner, I played with Brandon French. We played, we beat Tyson McGuffin and Jay DeVellier. And so I for most of the match, I was cross-court from Tyson. So when I was playing Tyson, one of his favorite attacks is once when, he, when he's dinking on the right, right side to right side, he likes to pull the trigger on attack where he goes try to, tries to jam the person cross-court from him. And that kind of works for me because I'm, my reach is not very long. I'm only 5'5". Five, five, and that actually feeds into one of my strengths, in my backhand, which I was able to turn and then go behind them. So I tried to use that pattern as much as I could. And then another thing I really look for is when you're down the line from someone, you're both at the kitchen, and you both are getting in a fast hands battle. Some people call it a firefight. Uh, Most people, what they'll do, they'll sit on one side or the other. And what that means is that they will guess in a way that they're going to get a forehand or a backhand. So the first moment when you're about to hit that ball, They'll actually show that stroke, and if you can read what that stroke is, because they'll generally tend to do the same one over and over. If you can go to the other side, they will. That will cause them to lose a half a second, and a lot of times will result in the pop up. So that, that those are the two of the main things that I look.
0: Wow, that is really interesting. So, really, if somebody is is hitting a shot even one or two times, you're in a particular location, you're really expecting that that is part of their pattern. And then that is something that you're going to be covering.
1: For sure. Yeah. During a match, I'm always thinking about and I'm seeing what they're doing and I'm seeing what I can do to either adjust or stay ahead of what their patterns that they're using and what techniques they favor.
0: And so obviously with somebody like Tyson, you can see lots of video ahead of time. What happens when you meet up with somebody? How do you handle it when you don't have any video of them to kind of analyze what they do?
1: Yeah, so... I mean, the pickleball, pro, the pickleball world is not super big. Most people know each other. I usually can find someone who knows whoever I'm going to be playing, and they can give me a quick little summary of what they what they know. One of my favorite guys is Dave Weinbach. He knows everybody, and I've played with him a lot over the years. He really made me a lot better, and he will often help me out with that. And like, I have a good sense of who knows who and who will help me out with what. If I'm playing someone that I don't know at all, Usually, I'll have to really watch it in the warm-up. The first few points, me and my partner will have to figure out the tendencies, what the other person wants, and act on that quickly because as you came to 11, it can go by.
0: Now, I'm curious. You mean, mentioned Dave Weinbach, and he's helped you to get better. What did you learn from him?
1: Yeah. So, so I'm a school teacher in grade currently. So, there was one summer, I believe it, it was 2020, right? during, I didn't have much to do. He kind of makes his own hours. Uh, so, I would drive to Madison where he lives about four times a week. And basically all the stuff that I've said so far is mostly what I've mean. he taught me a lot, but most importantly he taught me how to trash talk.
0: <laughs> he taught you how to trash talk. Okay. So I guess there probably wasn't a lot on the tennis court when you were playing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pickleball and two very One of the things that really drew me in pickleball was everybody so welcome me. Everybody wants to help each other. Everybody's rooting for each other. Whereas tennis, it really wasn't like that. As you've probably heard, a lot of people really just out for themselves. It's a lot of cutthroat. There's some drama. I mean, there's starting to be some drama in pickleball too. But going to like any tournament was almost like a little bit of a mini party or kickback for me. Because I could just see people that I enjoyed being with. And we would play our yeah, own The more important thing was hanging out afterwards and just catching up and being friends.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, tell me, how do you? What's the importance of trash talk in a match? I mean, obviously, it
1: depends on who you're playing and what you're playing Person. Or I'm playing with someone like Dave or Zane, who I play with a lot because they live kind of close by to me, we have talk trash and it's all fun natured. Um, there have been times where, so I, I usually won't trash talk to someone I don't unless they start at first. And I definitely use that. If somebody is a big trash talker, it'll, it definitely helps, me, helps motivate me and helps me focus too. Or even there's some little things that maybe something I don't like. Like last year at the Chicago Open, somebody stepped on a ball on purpose and then lied about it to the ref. And that really fired me up. And I'm really good at using those little things to really motivate me. A lot of people who don't me they don't realize how fiery and loud I can be on the court. It's never really in a negative way. You know, I don't stare down or do anything like that, but I will cheer with my partner, so especially on good shots. And that, along with my pumper, will, my partner will pump me up and that usually almost always makes me...
0: All right. So for those people who don't know, tell me about why stepping on the ball, or your opponent stepping on the ball was important to you.
1: In a, in a tournament, if a ball is, you suspect, broken or soft, especially if there's a referee you're supposed to show the referee the ball and the referee will switch it out and if you don't do that or you, or you step on a ball out of anger which is what this one partner or this one person did it's actually supposed to be a technical foul and then what really frustrated me was the person who did step on the ball he uh, he lied about it to the ref and that kind of really ticks me off a little bit and that really fired me and my partner on me he <laughs> He's a good friend now, but at the moment, I really hate him.
0: All right. So in kind of getting back to tennis, you mentioned that you could have played D3, which I can totally relate to because I played D3 volleyball. And what were, you said some of your strengths in tennis work out really well in pickleball. What are those?
1: Yeah. So a lot of it is the analytical part, which we talked about earlier. Zane kind of mentioned one timeline, I think that Pickleball is almost like chess on concrete. There's so many little moves and counter moves. So it's definitely that. And I'm also in tennis, I was a really a double specialist. I had pretty quick cans, pretty good volleys, And I wasn't the biggest guy, so I didn't have a lot of power either. So I used a lot of touch shots and angle shots, and those really to the pickleball game for sure.
0: And you are actually pretty much exactly the same height as I am. I am 5'5 five, five also, which when you grow up in Southern California playing basketball and volleyball, you're really small. But mm-hmm. especially being a woman, it works just fine in in pickleball. So, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of being short in this game?
1: Sure. So, one, I think the biggest one is that it's a lot harder to a short person. Meaning, if you fire at their body, they're not gonna they're not gonna be able. The short person is going to be able to react to the ball quicker because they have a shorter arm. Whereas, if I'm playing someone who's super tall, I know I, if we get into a firefight, I put it in the right spot because of how long their arms are. They will not be able to react to that ball as well. Also, since I'm lower to the, lower to the ground, that helps when I'm thinking a lot. I really like to shape and roll my thinks, uh and change up where it's going. And a lot of people from, a lot of taller people will have trouble um, bending down and getting low well in order to do it. So I'd say those are two major advantages. Here.
0: Yes, I can definitely relate to all of that. All right. In terms of, I'm just guessing what your answer might be here, but a little bit about what pro match.
1: So when you say that, a few come to mind, two in particular. So obviously last weekend, a lot of people who follow pro pickleball, they know that there were these random people, a lawyer and a teacher who walked onto a court and beat Jay and Tyson, obviously with a huge win. What people don't know is that, the month before Minnesota Open, I was playing with my buddy, Ryan Rosenthal, who's actually another teacher from Illinois. He's a PE teacher. We lost Jay and Tyson thirteen fifty. So we've, and then about a year and a half ago, the Chicago Open 2020, me and my partner out of Kansas City named Quentin Berkness, we had actually beaten Jay and J.W. Johnson. And at that time, obviously, J.W. isn't what he is now. And sometimes I still joke with him about that. But those are the, definitely the two biggest wins that stick out to me.
0: Right. I think JW has is, is progressed quite a bit in the last couple of years, right? Oh,
1: oh yeah, for
0: sure. <laughs> all right. So those are, whether it's JW two years ago or J and Lee, those are all really big wins. I, I guess my question would be, how did you do it?
1: So for the J and Tyson one, so I, I usually pick partners who are generally pretty aggressive, and we knew that we were not going to be able to outdink these these tall physical players that they'll dink all day, especially Tyson and Jay. And so we knew we had to find the spots on our opponents if we felt we could speed the ball up, win those fights. I won't tell exactly where, but both players, they have a two different spots on their body where if you if we spent up to them, it would, we almost always won that fight. So our, our option was getting ourselves to get off into the kitchen, wait for the white right ball, and attack him and trust our hands. And luckily, that worked out for us. So one of, the, one of the big spots, I don't want to say who, who has which spot, but one of the players, he sits on his backhand, which really means in his ready position, he will react fast to his backhand side, but not so much to his forehand side. So we would speed up between his right side, his dominant side hip, and shoulder. And that's one of the main attacks And anyone that'll work. And then another one on their backhand on the same side with the reach, the punch was not super strong on that day. So those are the two spots that we worked at and tried to get to.
0: It seemed to grasp the game, whether or not you've got previous video on a opponent, you're able to very quickly identify what what to do against people. Is, is that true? For
1: sure. Yeah. And even watching them warm up, you can see certain tendencies and see what they like and look at where to attack from there. And it was kind of it was kind of interesting because my partner for this last week in Brandon French, he's not the most super analytical person. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. Really awesome guy. But I kind of just told him where to fire, what to do, when to be aggressive, when to not. And luckily it worked out for us. So yeah, I'm always looking for little things that I can exploit. Because those little things in pickleball can turn out to be a pretty big advantage.
0: Now, when you're going through the warm-up and it is against somebody who you may really not know that well, what is it that you're looking for and what are you doing in a warm-up to assess those weaknesses?
1: So, yeah. So in pickleball, obviously in tennis, in tennis, you warm up with your opponent. So it's a little bit easier to identify uh, strength or weakness on one person. But like, like I was talking to you earlier, the biggest thing I look for which side they favor hitting the, the faster exchanges from, the backhand and the forehand. And also looking at who has fundamentally shot sound, really the third shot, speaking of who to return to. And then also looking at who has a little bit more power. So if we need to pop up the ball, make sure we try not to pop up to that person.
0: Now, I'm really curious because given, especially last weekend's win against Tyson and Jay, you mentioned that you are a third grade school teacher. How much do you actually get to play pickleball at this point? How seriously are you taking it? Yeah, so
1: at the, so in the colder months, it's really tough. I usually have to drive an hour one way to find some good play. I'll play a lot with Dave mock Like I said, out of Madison. I will play with Johnson, Cole, and Zane Navratil. Uh, they usually play in the Chicago suburbs, which is also like an hour for me. And whenever I can, either before or after, I'll try to drill. One of my main drilling partners is Jen Lissandro. She's a senior pro here out of the same town. And then when it gets warmer, it gets a little bit easier because you know, there's there's courts, there's a course five minutes away from me, two minutes away from me. Then I can go and I can drill for a while, and work on it. so I will definitely say in the warmer months, my pickleball definitely gets a little bit more better, more fine-tuned versus in the winter, some of it's tough because with school. And then I also coach um, a high school tennis team. I can sometimes only play two ish times a week. And I try to play as much as I can on the weekends, but it's definitely tough finding that balance and what I can do if I want to go play somewhere after school, well, I gotta think, well, I' I can leave school around three. It'll take me an hour to get there four, play for three to four hours and an hour to come home. And that's a long day. And then next morning, seven am, I have to be at school ready for 28 kids so it's really it it is tough for sure especially during the colder in the school month Um, but now that it's warming up i'll be able to dedicate some more time
0: do you ever see yourself dedicating your full-time attention to pickleball oh i've definitely thought about that before
1: this year has been an exceptionally rough school year on teachers in general and me currently i'm getting bit kicked spit on almost every day Today, I had a pencil throw and hit me in the eye, which was kind of rough. So I have thought about looking into maybe teaching tennis and pickleball at a club. And then that would allow me to dedicate more time to my pickleball game. And as of right now, it looks like I might be going that route. So that is a little exciting for me.
0: Wow. I just have to think back to what you just said about what you are going through with the kids. I mean, that just sounds like absolute craziness.
1: Yeah, it is. It, they're, they're definitely some
0: rough days. Wow. Very sad. Well, hopefully you've got brighter days ahead. I, I know you're a young guy. Actually, I apologize. How old are you? Uh, I'm 26. Okay. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely a young guy could potentially have a really amazing pickleball career for sure. So I think one, just one thing I want to, I was taking a note on and you faded out a little bit. What did you, you said you sometimes practice with a senior pro her name is jen i didn't catch the last name
1: yeah so jen Lissandro is her name we kind of started playing at the same time we used to play tennis together and then at one point she asked me and i told her no i'm gonna play this game called pickleball and she's like oh well, that's just for old people fast forward about a year she's ranked number i think she was ranked number four in the world for senior pro singles and she's also pretty high up there for doubles, too. So she's got the
0: bug just like me.
1: And it's really nice having someone who I can drill with close by who's ready to go it all out. That's pretty cool, too.
0: Well, given that you seem to be a double specialist, does she ever beat you in?
1: I'm not going to lie. She
0: has beaten me in
1: singles before. But it's been a while since she lasts. But that's kind of because
0: we haven't really played singles in
1: a while. I'm OK at singles. I'll play five zero singles. I've got a decent serve and a strong forehand. But after that, it gets a little sketchy. I don't think the the pro singles game is evolving so rapidly. You see so many of these high-level tennis players coming in and then knocking off some players in the world. So I think anybody looking to get into pro singles who doesn't have that high-level tennis background is really at a disadvantage at this point because it's just getting super physical right now.
0: Interesting. All right. So in terms of paddles, tell me which paddle do you use and why do you like it?
1: So currently, I use the Gearbox CX-11 Quad 8.5 control. And there's a few different things that I like about that paddle. First, it's nearly indestructible. I used to play with Pro-Lay paddles before this, and just by playing, I'd go through a paddle in two, three, four months, and that was kind of getting a little ridiculous. These gearboxes, like, I, I haven't had to switch yet. only time I want to switch is if maybe I feel like a paddle has lost its mojo or something. Another thing I like about it is that it's got a really small grip. So I've got a I've got some small hands and my wrist is super flexible. So having a small grip allows me to use my use my wristiness, if you will. Actually, instead of playing um tennis in college, I played competitive ultimate frisbee and And if you watch me play, you'll notice that I'm a little bit more wristy than other pros. And generally, that's not something that you teach. But using the Gearbox has allowed me to use that wristiness to my advantage, where I can create some extra spin and bite on the ball. And also the CX-11, it really, I don't know, I'm not sure how Rafa did it. Rafa is the owner of Gearbox. He's an engineer. But they designed it in a way where the ball actually sits on the face a little bit longer. And while it's not gritty... It actually generates a lot of spin. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Pickleball Lab and Chris Olson, but he did a spin test, and these gearbox paddles were near the top, up up there with like the carbon and even spinnier than the Franklin Ben Johns paddle. So that's definitely one thing that I feel has helped my game for sure.
0: Yes, I actually had Chris Olson on the podcast a few weeks ago, and yeah. We delved into the this spin test that he did, and I'm actually a gearbox and from my racka not a racka okay. and so I can see how yeah, obviously gearbox was big into racka and ra- when you talk about the smaller grips, is that totally get it to like to that
1: for sure. And Rafa, the owner of gearbox, he's such a cool guy. I'll do I'll say a quick story. Last year, me and my my students had a project where they were designing a backpack, and Rafa was kind enough to zoom into my class and take my class through the whole design process of how they designed um, this year's new backpacks. He started from scratch showing the initial designs, the drawings at the end. He held up the actual backpack and the kids are really amazing. Rafa is such a cool guy. It was so amazing.
0: Well, that is awesome. I love it. All right. Well, Neil, it was great to have you on the pickleball fire podcast. I mean, we really covered a lot of ground I I love your analytics. I can tell you're definitely buddies with them, Zane. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. great, great to have
1: we can't mention him too much.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for being on the podcast, Neil. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.